We encourage everyone to take out your Bible, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, as we talk about a mere image of holiness. Now, when we think of a mere image, we sometimes talk about that. Uh, when you have twins, they're a mere image of one another. If they're, uh, you know, exact twins, sometimes you might see a child who uh, has the similar image of one of the parents. If you looked at my dad's picture and myself, we're pretty, pretty close in that way. And we're going to talk today about how Peter's challenging us to be a mere image of the holiness of God. Now, a short story before we begin. Uh, in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, the Duke University Hospital there, uh, in 2004, in the fall, the maintenance workers drained out the fluid, the hydraulic fluid, out of the elevators and replaced it, which was part of their maintenance policy. Unfortunately, they put that hydraulic fluid in drums that said detergent on them that was used for cleaning surgical instruments. Well, a few months later, things got mixed up, and guess what? The hydraulic fluid made it to where they were cleaning the instruments for surgery. And they said it lasted for almost uh, two months and 3,800 surgeries before they discovered the problem. Uh, can you imagine what it must have been like to hear that news and then to hear the head administrator say, we want you to know that we care deeply about all of our patients. Well, it's one thing to say that you care, but when you make something mistake like that and uh, the, the surgeon doesn't have sterilized equipment, it's going to create a lot of, a lot of problems a lot of difficulties and a lot of uncertainty in the lives of people who had those surgeries. But think about the church. If we're not about holiness, we can share the gospel, we can care all we want, but if we as believers aren't clean ourselves, aren't living holy lives before the world around us as lights for Christ, then they're not going to be as interested in our message. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's why we need each other more than ever to help us walk in holiness as God commands us to do. But it's difficult to do it on your own. I find it's difficult. We need the loving care of a church family and close godly friends to spur us on to do love and good works and to seek holiness in our life. That's why recently, uh, actually on Friday, I met with a group of pastors in Rock Island and we shared words of encouragement and challenge to one another to keep the gospel central in what we're doing, to not let, you know, the racial tensions and COVID and all these things that are pulling at us to move us away from the central message that Jesus came and died on the cross, lived a sinless life, and he was buried and rose again, and trusting in him, we can have eternal life. And that's the gospel, and that's what we want to stay focused on. So we got to be careful, even in our church, not to let our views of COVID or racial tension or political issues divide us. We keep the living hope of the gospel central in what we do. So let's remind ourselves of what we studied in the first part of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, the first 12 verses. Peter's talking about the Jewish and Gentile believers who have left Jerusalem. They're scattered abroad. And then he goes on in verses uh, 2 and throughout verse 12 to talk about how great a salvation that you and I possess and he talks about all the privileges and the benefits and the process of what brought about our salvation. But then in verses 13 through 16, 
he wants to share what's vitally important for us as believers to get into the habit of visualizing in our minds a path of life that leads us without fail if we are obedient to our eternal home. How to thrive in this polluted world around us, not just survive, but how to thrive. As Peter will say in verse 17 of this book, you will be emotionally, mentally, and spiritually prepared to pursue holiness in a polluted world. So let's look at verses 13 through 16. First Peter 1, I hope you have your Bible open. I hope you have your notes available. It says there in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for God says, I am holy. And may God add his blessing as we read his word this morning. We're going to look at three things we need to focus on from these verses. We're going to look at a focus on God's grace focus on walking in obedience, and focus on pursuing holiness as we imitate the Father. The first thing we see here is focus on God's grace. The blank is grace. Focus on God's grace. And just to repeat the beginning part of verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. We should prepare our thoughts to understand and act on God's grace. Notice what it says, therefore. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and say, what is it there for? And it's to point back to what he has already said in the first 12 verses. He's going in a different direction, but he wants you to know it's based on what he has previously said. This verse right here is the bridge to the rest of the book of 1 Peter. First, he spends a short amount of time teaching us And reminding us the truths of salvation. And now beginning here, this is, he's saying, how to live it out. Where the rubber meets the road. This is the application or life response to what I've taught you thus far. Therefore, as a military command, pointing to the phrase, set your hope. And prepare your minds for action. Means to gird up your loins for hand-to-hand combat. Let's roll up our sleeves and get back to work, as we would say in our a modern-day vernacular. I think there's a picture on the screen here about girding up loins. This was a Roman soldier. And before he would go to battle, he'd have to pull up his tunic and wrap it into his belt so he could have you know, more ability to maneuver quickly rather than deal with the long tunic as well. And so Peter is saying here, in a sense, gird up your loins for battle. Prepare your mind. And we're to discipline our thoughts and not be distracted. There's so many things, I find, that vie for our time. And it's up to us to be good stewards of our time and have boundaries. I think about music. That's a good way to to connect with God. And we need to fill our soul with these good thoughts and the things of God. And we think of music, we think of meditation on God's word. We think about memorizing the word so that wherever you are, The Holy Spirit can bring those words back up to you in your time of opportunity. Watching wholesome shows, reading wholesome books. You know, I read a lot of short articles and blog posts, and I find now when I get to a book and I want to read three chapters, I have to battle for my attention span to think through because I'm not used to long reading. But we need that. 
And we need to take care of our body with good rest and food and exercise. And if we get those right, you begin to have an edge in overcoming your temptations. And then we need to bounce ideas off of others who can give us wise counsel. We need to be, in preparing our mind, to be discerning of the choices of what we focus on. Our media focus, how we relate to people as they relate to us, to develop and add God's priorities into our lives as well. Sometimes, if you're like me, I settle for good instead of best. And God wants us to settle for what's best in our thoughts and our media choices and food and things like that. And it takes effort to do that. But when we settle for the best that God wants, we find peace. We find contentment, even in the midst of turmoil. Personally, there's things that come up that Satan and the flesh bring up in my life, past failures and sins to try to remunerate in my mind. Thoughts of my children and the biblical choices that they sometimes do not make at times as adults. Sometimes I battle with not feeling personally measuring up to God's standard. I think about conversations with people that did not go well, and your mind drifts back to those things and reviews them. But we have to guard our mind. We have to think the things of God in order to prepare us for action. Actions, most of the time, come and are generated from what our thought processes are. It's true that sometimes we just merely react, but mostly we think about things before we act on them. So the mind is so important. Second of all, we should prompt our mind to thoughts of God's future grace. Look at verse 13, the rest of that verse. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, be sober-minded or sober in your spirit. Now, one aspect of this is not to be intoxicated or to get drunk with alcohol, but it means much more than that. We're, to be intoxic we're not to be intoxicated with the world's thought processes and the temptations that the world has to offer. It's so easy to see the slow creep of worldliness get into our lives. One example among many, if you've had a bad experience or an injustice happen to you in your life, this can make, us, make you want to take on the attitude of being a victim. But if we dwell a lot on this idea of being a victim, then victimhood becomes a way of life and can take control of all aspects of our life. There's a story about a man that used to work at a post office. And uh, he knew the Lord, but he wasn't really living for the Lord. And he decided to take a stand and begin to live his life for Christ. And he started to share that with others in the post office. And they began to mock him and make snide remarks to him. So after a while, he decided he would just live it out and not say much about living for the Lord. And they began to see the change in his life. And over time, they, made, they thought he was going to be a victim as they picked on him, but he became a victor. They began to come to him with their problems, with their issues, asking for prayer because they thought, quote, he had an in with God because he was living for Christ. The moral of this is to remember that no matter what the world throws at you, and no matter how difficult it might seem at times, if you remain diligent, you will eventually be seen as a victor and not the victim. Another issue that we have to deal with is that of social justice. We see that all around us and doing what's right for our fellow man and our woman and women. But apart from the gospel, we see a lot of good things, but they take the gospel out of it. 
And I think it's interesting that as you talk with uh, people who are secular humanists or atheists or agnostics, that some of their arguments they borrow, they borrow from Christianity. And one of those is human rights. There was a famous atheist that recently said that you cannot deny that human rights is based in Christianity. There would be no human rights if it wasn't for Christ. So the whole concept of human rights is based in Christianity and the gospel. And so the two are tied together, taking care of your fellow man physically, but also spiritually. Think about the opening words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal. That came from a Judeo-Christian foundation as Thomas Jefferson penned those words and as the people that were surrounding him voted for that document. Treating others with dignity and respect comes from the idea that every human being that's ever lived and will live is made in the image of God. Therefore, we have to treat each other with dignity and respect for every human being that we come in contact with. And there's a lot more to show from the Bible why human rights come from God, but you get the point that shows that this, by creating man and woman after him, God did that and said his creation was good, and then he said after creating Adam and Eve, it was very good. He laid the framework for human rights for all. So verse 13, it goes on to say, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set or fix your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you. We're going to go through discouraging times. And by thriving, not just living or surviving, based on the living hope of Jesus Christ. Hope can change your attitude and can change other people's hearts and lead people to revival. Hope can change everything. Notice that word fully there in verse 13. It means completely. It means surrendered without resolve, that we know the future that we are headed for. In essence, hope equals faith. Hope is owed to God because of his faithfulness over the years with the nation of Israel and with our own lives as well, as we've evidenced and, and seen and experienced firsthand. I think of Abraham, and Abraham uh, was told that he was going to have the promised son, Isaac. And can you imagine what he must have gone through because he was nearly, if not 100 years old, when this event occurred. And of course, Sarah was past the age of fertility as far as human beings would normally consider. And so he had faith that God was going to do this. And you see up on the screen in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, here's a great verse to think about. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He had hope against hope. Because his hope was in a sure thing, in God and his promises and his faithfulness to us. This grace that's brought to you today, in the present, happening right now, but as God sees it, will continue on into the future. 
He will give you grace both now and into eternity. It's like waking up every day and you got air to breathe. Grace is available to each and every one of us. And at the end of verse 13, it says that the grace will bring us to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Imagine that day when all the world will see, every knee will bow and every tongue in heaven and earth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him in all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So here's some practical points that Jesus gave for how to live in the 21st century waiting with hope for his return. These are the words of Jesus. Think about it. You might write these down. He said, watch and pray. You remember when the disciples were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he said to them, watch and pray, lest your spirit be given to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. That's what he said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. So that should be one of the things that we do. We're kind of watching for his coming, but we are praying. Second of all, we're to work. You see in the King James, it says occupy. Another version says serve, but we're to work. We're to do, be about the Father's business here on earth, carrying out his kingdom work, using our spiritual gifts in the way that he's uh, enabled us. And then thirdly, to have faith. In Luke 18, he said, if I return, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find faith on the earth? Watch and pray, work, have faith. So our application here is this. Are we allowing the availability of God's grace to cause us to rest in him and trust him more? Someone recently said, I heard a comment saying, those who know they're going to die and have that assurance of heaven know how to live their life. If we know where we're going to go, it should give us rest and comfort in this life. Because if God's got it taken care of on the other side, with our reservation, our future inheritance, as it says in 1 Peter 1, why not rest in his grace and mercy today? It's the grace of God based in the hope and faithfulness of God that will carry you through with peace in this life and in the life to come. Second of all, focus on walking in obedience. Focus on walking in obedience. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You and I, we are to be faithful to follow God and his word. It's just that simple. Simple to understand, but hard to do sometimes, right? Because we let ourselves get in the way. And so a simple definition that I learned way back when I was in youth group, obedience is doing immediately what you are told to do with the right heart attitude. Oh, so many times I remember I sat down as a young person and turned on the TV and started watching my favorite show. And my mom would call me and say, it's time to take out the trash. Oh, yeah. Was I going to be obedient? Was I going to get up and do that right away? As a young person, and it was challenged with this thought, obedience is doing immediately what you're told to do with the right heart attitude. Obedience is a sign that you are a believer and that you love God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. God's love language is obedience. He wants to know that we love him by obeying his commandments. This is a term of endearment. 
It takes the meaning of a child obeying his parents here in this verse. So you and I, we're to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. Romans 12.2 talks about not conforming to this world. I like how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. When I first became a Christian at age 14, I found this poster of Romans chapter 12, verse 2 in the J.B. Phillips translation I had on my wall for a long time. It said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Something or someone is going to mold you with their mindset. For the Christian, it has to be God. And we're not to be conformed to our former way of life. All sin is really rooted in three different categories. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here's the three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh. There's over 100 sins in the Bible. You could take that list of 100 sins and you could put, it in these, put them in these three categories. The desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, what we see, coveting, greed, that sort of thing. And then the pride of life, making ourselves feel more important than other people, putting other people down, being arrogant. These things are not from the Father, but from the world. And then he says in his, in his verse, not to forget our past ignorance. Not, we are to, or I'm sorry, we are to forget our past ignorance. We are to forget our past ignorance. Whatever our selfish and independent nature did, apart from a relationship with God in the past, has to be eradicated going forward. We have to put on the new. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, all things are passing away as the Holy Spirit is forming us into the image of Christ, and all things are becoming new. And because of that transformation, the appeal of the flesh and the world hopefully will slowly diminish if we feed upon God and his word. Take your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, to see the contrast. And there's several places. We could go to Galatians 5, we could go to... A number of scriptures, but Ephesians talks about this as well. But 1 Corinthians 6, Paul shows the difference between the world's philosophies and following the flesh and following the spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the change. And such were some of you, he said to the Corinthian believers, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So our application here is how much of our past 
is hindering us in moving forward in our walk of faith? How much do the things of the past pull at us or the past memories of our sin that we know that God has put into the deepest ocean? Remember, our sins, there are many, but his mercy is more, as we sang just a few moments ago. How much of our past is hindering us in moving forward in our walk of faith? God continues his commands to us through Peter as we look at the last point today. Focus on the pursuit of holiness, imitating the Father. Our last point is focus on the pursuit of holiness, imitating the Father. Look at verses 15 and 16 in 1 Peter 1. But as he, God, who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. First of all, we see in that verse that you and I, we are called to holiness. That when he chose us, when we received Christ as Savior in our hearts and lives, he called us at that moment to live holy lives. Now, obviously, we can't measure up to God's perfection, as we'll talk about in a minute. But we should strive for that in our lives. Called here means to bear a name or a title. If we're going to name the name of Christ, if we're going to say we are Christians, then we need to imitate the one who saved us, the Father. Holy means that God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his honor. He is to be revered and viewed and different than humanity. He is sacred, set apart, and pure in all aspects of goodness. It's hard for us in our finite minds with our sinful nature to imagine a being that has never sinned. But that's who God is. And I believe out of the fact that God is holy, in essence, that's a very important part of who he is, all the attributes of God flow out of the fact that he is holy. If God isn't holy, he isn't God. We are to conduct ourselves in a way to live holy lives. If we're called, we are to conduct ourselves in a way to live holy lives. Conduct means simply your behavior, how you go about living your life on a daily basis. So the question is, if you are more attracted and enamored with this world than fellowshiping with God, you're not going to love and look forward to his return. In 2 Timothy 2.4, it says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You want to just summarize our conduct? That's a, a good verse to remember. And we have to define in our own lives, and it may be different for different people, but where are we getting entangled in the things of this world? What are the things that are hindering us? What are the things that we treat as idols in place of God. An idol is anything that we pay more attention and time to or put money to than we do with God. There's a lot of good things out there, but if we're not careful, they can become idols in our life. Up on the screen, you see our media choices have a lot to do with our thinking to our behavior. You've probably heard about the milk crate challenge, right? It's on TikTok all over the place. People are going to emergency rooms with broken arms, broken legs, as they try this thing. And it was kind of humorous because someone posted on their TikTok account that the FDA approved of this and said it was okay. And then the FDA replied and said, the FDA approves you drinking 2% milk and taking those crates back to the grocery store. That's what they said. <laughs> but our media choices, 
People see it and they think they can do it, right? They have a lot to do with our thinking leading to our behavior. Pornography affects our thoughts, our choices, our relationships. Bitterness toward someone affects us emotionally. People are holding on to anger. They're worked up about things that are very simple. And they allow bitterness to take root in their life. And it hurts relationships, not just the person that they're bitter with. The friends we keep. We have to be careful of who we have close friends with. The Bible says if we walk with the wise, we'll be wise. If we walk with fools, we will be like the fool. So we have to be careful. We need to be evaluating what things we are doing to pursue holiness. Here's three questions that maybe you could take and think about this week. At what do we call good in our choices? This is a good way to evaluate holiness. Are the values we have based on the Bible? Are they based on our feelings? Or are they based on what the majority of the culture thinks? At what do we call good in our choices? Second of all, at what do we laugh? So we listen to people tell jokes, maybe off-color jokes, suggestive jokes. You know, think about what is it that you laugh at when you watch the late-night comedians or whatever it may be. That reveals our values of things and people. And at what would we walk away from? At what point would the movie get so bad that you would turn it off or walk out of the theater after you paid $15 to get in? When it comes to media choices, friends, tempting us, language that's being used, etc., what would we walk away from? Why should we have a mirror image of God's holiness as our standard in our life? Because God is holy and he commands you and I to be holy. Last thing we'll see today that we are to conform to God's standard of holiness. We're to conform to God's standard of holiness. Now, obviously, as I mentioned, we're not going to make perfection in this life. The Apostle Paul, who I think was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, said that he was the chiefest of sinners. So if he didn't achieve perfection, I don't think any of us will because we have that sinful nature within us until we pass from this life. But we are called to conduct ourselves with holy behavior, Because God is holy and he commands us as Christ followers to imitate him, to reflect his holiness here on earth. We are to imitate God's moral values because it is the basis for all ethics. God is the final authority of what is right and what is wrong. And ultimately, we imitate his holy character here on earth for one reason, to glorify him. He is worthy of all of our honor and our glory and God His standard is the highest of all. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Might I add that this is impossible for us to do apart from the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God to help us to do it. In our own abilities, we cannot achieve what God wants us to do in this area of holiness. In 1 John chapter 3, John the Apostle wrote, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Looking forward to that day of his return, it should cause us to want to live holy lives. 
D.L. Moody, that famous evangelist, said, A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. May you and I shine because of the holiness of Christ that's in our lives. So here's the application. Where do we need to make adjustments to God's standard for holy living in our lives? What are the things that we need to focus in on? Change a habit. Uh, maybe it's a media choice. Whatever it may be, what are the adjustments that we need to make to make sure that we are seeking and pursuing holiness with God? Robert Coleman, who's a writer, said once he heard of a missionary talk about a boy who appeared at a mission hospital in Kenya. He had a gaping wound in his foot. He'd been accidentally injured while he was cutting grass far out in the jungle. Part of his heel was literally cut off. Without waiting to inform anyone of the mishap, the little boy set across uh, the countryside to find the mission station where he heard that medical help was available. Every time his little foot touched the sandy earth, it left a faint trace of blood. The journey was long and difficult, but at last he arrived. A little while later, the boy's mother appeared. The doctors were surprised that she found the way. There were no well-defined trails, and she had never made the trip before. How did you do it, she was asked. The dear woman, overjoyed to be with her child, replied, oh, it was easy. I just followed the blood. I just followed the blood. If we follow the blood of Jesus through the pages of Scripture, it leads us to freedom and holiness by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we trust in that blood of Christ, we're free from being victims of our upbringing. We're free from the power of sin so we can live holy lives for God's glory. We're free from our physical body of corruption at the end of life. We're set free from the fear of death. And we've been set free in order that we might live for the one who set us free. Here's our key thought as we close today. What steps will you take this week to be more prepared and focused on being a mere image of God and his holiness. That's the challenge for all of us today, to go home, to evaluate, to think of those three questions. How do we live this, in this world to thrive and to pursue God's holiness? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before you and we know that we all fall short in this area of our life. But Lord, we're thankful that you give us instruction. You give us a way. You give us hope through your Holy Spirit, through your word, through godly people, through being in community with other believers on Sunday morning and in Bible studies and so many other ways. Lord, the resources here in America to help us pursue holiness are many. Lord, help us to avail ourselves of that this week and help us to look into our heart of hearts to see if we have created any idols anything that we've placed that's more important in our lives than time with you and our relationship. Lord, the world is longing to see Christians who will fulfill this command so that the light in the midst of this darkness that's getting darker every day will shine forth brightly and will cause them to be curious and want to know a reason for the hope that lies within us in Jesus Christ. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.